Hello everyone, Marvin Polis here. Before we get started with today's episode, just a quick announcement. This week we're going to try something new. We're going to try a new release schedule. We're going to release episodes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and see how that goes. So if you have any comments or suggestions, please go to Monetizing Your Creativity on iTunes and let us know what you're thinking. Okay, let's get started. Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. My name is Michael Jorgensen, and I'm a filmmaker. Well, I think approaching the traditional broadcasters, you need to know your customer. The kind of content that CBC might be looking for is vastly different from Discovery, for instance. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? Just be very realistic about, um, and think about your customer, your client. I mean, there's a lot at risk for them. Mitigate the risk as much as possible and make it as easy as possible for them to want to work with you. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis. Not joining me this time is your co-host, Fred Keating. Fred Keating is working on a project in Toronto right now, is not able to join us. But I'm in Banff, Canada, and I'm at the Story Summit at the Banff Centre. And this summit is being put on by the Alberta Media Production Industries Association, as well as the Banff Centre. There is a fantastic gathering of creative people here over a couple of days. And I'm fortunate to be sitting in a room with Emmy Award winning Michael Jorgensen. He's a filmmaker. Welcome, Michael. Thanks very much, Marvin. Michael, tell me about your background as a filmmaker. What are some of the things that you're really proud of that you've worked on? Well, I've worked on uh, a number of projects, Battle of the X-Planes for PBS Science and Technology Program, NOVA, Lost Nuke for the Discovery Channel, Secrets of the Dinosaur Mummy, Hitler Stealth Fighter. So most of my projects are for traditional broadcasters, PBS, Discovery Channel, uh, National Geographic, History. And your list of awards is so long, we can't even start to go through it. But uh, I'll just do that bragging on your behalf so you don't have to embarrass yourself. But it certainly is an honor to be sitting in the room with you. Now, you mentioned that you have many years of experience in the traditional broadcast industry. How do you see that changing? Well, I see it changing for me and just giving me more access and platforms to tell my stories. So... For me, the most important thing is always the story. And it's finding uh, what's the right platform, what's the right venue, what's the right home for that story. Um, My last job in in traditional television was for the CBC. And the reason I left the CBC is because I wanted to make and create stories that I was passionate and interested in that CBC wouldn't probably even be, you know, look at, wouldn't, wouldn't be something that they would program. And that's one of the reasons why I left to be uh, an independent filmmaker. So, and I think now with the over the tops and the streaming and the new digital platforms, it's just giving storytellers like me and, and emerging producers certainly have, I think are coming into an industry where there's, I think, a lot more opportunity for them to express themselves and tell their stories. Now you're using the term filmmaker. How do you really define that? Well, I tell, 
I'm a storyteller that uses moving images, and it used to be on film, and now that it was on videotape. And I'm one of those people who really believes that the technology has not really changed the medium. It's, it's given us ways to tell stories that make our jobs easier and more efficient. Certainly in my 30-year career, it's been probably two pieces of technology that have changed my career. Nonlinear editing and the new really amazing sensors that are in digital cameras where you can shoot in really incredibly low lighting conditions that would never had the uh, opportunity to do um, or even think about doing before. And with the digital, the new digital era, new platforms giving me another place to be able to put my stories and share them with the world. And I think that it's very notable that the tools of production are now available to anybody. So if you're a storyteller, you can possibly get a project off the ground without having to go through the gatekeepers that used to be there before. And then also, there's this whole concept, it's, it's more than a concept really, it's the reality that the tools of distribution are now available to anybody. What does this mean in terms of opportunities for the next generation of creative people who maybe aren't interested in doing things the way that things used to be done by the establishment? Well, you know, it was a world that I used to think that I completely understood, traditional storytelling. And I have to admit, though, that in the world of, of content, and I'll use content very loosely as, you know, like the videos that you'll see online of, uh, you know, uh, dog snow skiing. It's not narrative, but it's content, but it still can be monetized and make money. I think I'm too old to understand that space completely because I'm, I'm always going to be a traditional narrative storyteller. And I think stories are where humanity goes to learn how to be human and how to live a better life, whether they're true or not. In my case, I tell nonfiction stories. But, you know, the human brain is such that we don't know the difference. But when it comes to content, I really put the line in my world between content and narrative. And now there's a lot of young, I'll call them filmmakers, producers, who are making content that has no narrative at all, but they're making money with it. And I think as a traditional narrative storyteller, I'm trying to understand what the audience is thinking about, what's driving them to that content, and why it's doing so well. Now let's talk about the traditional ways of doing things. You have certainly decades of experience in that. We still have, and will have, for many, many years yet. Places like PBS, places like you mentioned CBC, which uh, for those of you who aren't in Canada, that's a Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. People like the BBC in the UK, these places are going to be around for a long time. There is a way of developing your stories. There's a way of developing your pitches and bringing it forward to them. Is there any advice that you can offer to filmmakers who want to take that route in their career? Well, I think approaching the traditional broadcasters, you need to know your customer. The kind of content that CBC might be looking for is vastly different from Discovery, for instance. So I think it's knowing your customer. And I think keeping in mind that the people that commission, in my mind, have some of the hardest jobs in the business because they have to find content and, and really high-caliber narrative that's going to drive audiences to their channel so they can keep their job. I know once... You know, one particular traditional broadcaster that I've worked with a lot, I and mean, they've changed the head of that channel every year for the last five years. 
because it's like, well, the numbers are the same, but that's not good enough. We need higher ratings. That means better content. So you're choosing, as a commissioning editor, you're choosing well, but not well enough. But I think it's always, it's always going to be about the strongest IP wins, the strongest story wins. And that's what's driven, if we look back and we see the launch of the cable networks like HBO and AMC, they started to do things that traditional broadcasters wouldn't. So I, I don't know even if it's how relevant it is to even call them traditional broadcasters anymore. Um, I think the, the, the playing field is getting very level, and it's just about who can acquire the very best content and, you know, there's an old adage that story is the most important thing, and certainly in this business it'll always be. But I think we're seeing now with the democratization of technology, there's maybe something that's even more important, and that's the storyteller. And I think that's going to be where if a, a young emerging filmmaker or content producer is coming up, that they really need to make their brand about. They can find or create really great IP and tell it really well. And as long as they can do that, they'll always have a home. And now with all of the great distribution, the new distribution platforms, I mean, I'm really, you know, I'd be really excited if I was 21 years old right now coming into this industry. So let's say I am 21 years old. I have an idea for a television series. I think it would be a great fit for PBS, for instance. You've worked for PBS. How do I actually take that idea to them? Well, you can do what I did. And, I'll, you know, uh, when I did my first big show, it was for PBS. And at the time, I sent them a fax. And they were actually coming to the Banff Television Festival at the time. I sent them a fax, and they said, yeah, well, we'll be happy to meet with you. Sounds like a really interesting story. And I pitched my story in, in like, about a minute, told them what the story was. They accused me of making it up and saying this can't be true. This is too unbelievable. But, to go, but don't go anywhere. We want to do it. We, we will help you make this film. And that was a time when it was a very expensive film, and PBS wrote the check for the entire program. So I think for emerging filmmakers to keep in mind that we've all been there, and it really doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. If you have good IP, somebody's looking for you. Somebody's waiting for you to call them to arrange a meeting so they can hear your pitch because if it's good, they want it. They need it. And I guess it needs to not only be good, but it needs to fit into their network. Yeah, I think it's really important that, to know your customer and what they're looking for and do your research and your due diligence and make sure that you identify, okay, these are the five best platforms or broadcasters that I'm going to go after and, and, and target those. Now, you mentioned when you met the people from PBS originally, you told them the concept in one minute. Yeah. I guess that's really an important thing. You shouldn't be walking in with a PowerPoint stack of 80 slides to pitch your idea. First of all, you need that elevator pitch. You really need to know, if you can't tell your story in a minute or less, you don't know your story. And I think it's important to keep in mind that these commissioning editors, especially at festivals, they get hundreds of pitches. So they're actually looking for a way to end the meeting and get out because they know they've got a lot more. So you have to really know your story and be a good storyteller and pitch it in a very authentic and provocative way that gets their attention and makes them want to ask you questions, keep the conversation going. And so that's really... and. It, 
I think pitching is something that, uh, and it's not sales. I'm a terrible salesperson, but I can tell a story. And in one minute, and it's not an exaggeration to say that every story I've ever sold happens in one minute. They've kind of made up their mind that either, yes, I'm, I'm really interested in this and I'm going to go forward and ask you some questions, or it's like, no, this is not for us, right? It's a great story. This subject matter might be out of the cycle right now for what we're doing, but it only takes a minute. Now, what happens next? Because clearly it's not a situation where you get in the room with them, pitch them on your idea for one minute. They say, we love that. Here's a check. We're just going to sign that right now. Come and see us next week. Well, they're going to do their due diligence. And here's what they're looking for. They want to know, obviously, that, okay, check in the box, you've got a great IP. Do they want to spend the next, because it's going to be a year or two that you're going to spend working with, do they want to work with you? So, and the third thing is, can you deliver? They're going to give you a lot of money. They want to mitigate their risk. Remember, their jobs are, there's a lot at stake. So those are the three, I think, checks in the box that they're looking for. It's a great IP. Do I want to work with you? And can you deliver on time and on schedule? Let's break that down a little bit. Do they want to work with you? What do you mean by that? Things like, is this person trustworthy? Yeah, it's as simple as, are you the kind of person that I can sit down and have an open and honest conversation about? Would I go uh, out and have a drink with you or a coffee? Would I, would I invite you over to my house for dinner? In fact, when I did my very first really big show, it was for PBS. Executive producer flew me to Boston. I went over to her house for dinner. She cooked for me, and I spent the evening with her and her family. And because it really comes down to, I think in this business, you can, I, at least I'm going to speak for myself, I've built my career on two things, relationship and storytelling. Great. Now let's talk about that other thing that you mentioned, which is, can this person deliver? Well, and especially for a young filmmaker who's going to be very intimidated. And again, it's a very risky for any broadcaster or studio is going to give a, a young filmmaker money, it's, it's risky. So if you're inexperienced, my suggestion would be is find um, a producer who does the kind of work that you like, who has the same kind of values that you have, um, that you want to work with, and partner with them. And get one under your belt and get a credit. And then from there on, I think you probably they'd be in a better position to be able to do that all on their own. So team up with somebody who's been in the business for a decade or two, has the credibility where the broadcaster knows with certainty that person has the track record, they are going to deliver. Yeah, know, know your pitch and then put yourself in your customer's shoes. What are they going to be thinking about that's going to be maybe a showstopper for them? Make it as easy as possible for them to say yes. So realistically, they're not going to say, love the idea, checkbox number one, love you. We think you're trustworthy. We think you're a stand-up individual. But really, there is that third point of, I don't think we're going to write a check for many millions of dollars to this individual and say, come back in a year or two with your 13 episodes. Yeah, that's probably not going to, not that it hasn't happened, but I think um, it's a bit of a fallacy that that's, you know, if you're a first-time filmmaker, that that's going to happen. So again, just be very realistic about, um, and think about your customer, your client. I mean, there's a lot at risk for them. Mitigate the risk as much as possible and make it as easy as possible for them to want to work with you. And I guess this is a really positive thing because you're saying 
partner up with somebody who's been around the block a few times, that's a fantastic opportunity to be a mentee. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I worked in the business for 10 years honing and learning my craft uh, before I felt comfortable enough and had enough experience behind me where I felt that I could you know, leave traditional broadcasting and go and had enough of a pedigree that I could pitch a show and do it on my own. So if you're coming right out of film school, that can be intimidating. But the, the good news is I did it. And if I did it, I know that somebody listening to this who said, hey, listen, I've, I've got those skills. I'm good with people. I'm a good storyteller. I know my craft. I might not have the experience yet, but I know somebody that I could go partner with who could help me launch. And the people here in this industry are very kind and very giving and want to help people launch. So I think that's really positive news. So I think young filmmakers should be very encouraged by that fact. And I think filmmakers, for the most part, they're all the same. And uh, I even speak into some, some, there's some uh, veteran, Mitch Dubin, who works with Steven Spielberg, said, you know, if it wasn't for somebody being kind to me at the beginning of my career, I probably wouldn't be doing this. And so there's, um, there's a lot of people in this industry who want help. Michael, you're a very successful documentary filmmaker. What is the secret to finding that story? Because as you mentioned, when you pitch to a broadcaster, they want that magic story. What's the secret to finding that magical story? So I'm looking for two things to start with. I want to find a story that's untold and unbelievable. So I want to find a story that if I give you the log line for the story, you actually accuse me of making it up. It's like, that can't be true. Like your friends at PBS said. Right. You're kidding us. You're telling me that the two largest aerospace companies in the world are going to build the fighter for the 21st century. They're going to have a competition, and they're going to build these very exotic airplanes. They're going to fly them in the desert of California at Edwards Air Force Base, and the winner is going to get a check for $200 billion, and it might be the last fighter plane a man ever flies in. And I said, yeah, that's absolutely what the story is. Oh, get out of here, Michael. That couldn't possibly happen. That's right. It couldn't possibly happen. So it's knowing what a good story is. And I think once you know, for, and, and I just had this conversation a couple of minutes ago with someone else, like, how do, I, how do I do it? And I said, if you know what makes a great story, at least in my world, in the documentary world, they kind of just show up. So if you know that you're looking for something that's untold and unbelievable and you know how to tell it well is unbelievable the same thing as sensational no if you look at the great documentaries really good documentaries a lot of them have that unbelievable this like this cannot be true what i'm saying here and i'll I'll give you an example of something that just recently blew up on netflix was making of a murder i watched that myself 10 one-hour episodes by the fourth episode i'm thinking okay i think i'm watching a drama that's masquerading as a documentary because this can't be happening. They have access to everybody. They have the protagonist, they have the lawyer, they have everybody who's in the story. And at every turn, the story gets more unbelievable. So I think that's really knowing what a good story is, having your your radar set for that is really, and that's what the broadcasters or anybody's looking for who wants to buy and acquire content to monetize it is got to have a certain amount of that cachet. Now, is it possible that you can take that idea to a broadcaster as the documentary filmmaker and they would say, love the idea, don't think we want to work with you, so 
maybe we'll just buy that from you? I actually don't know of that happening. So people who are scared of that possibility maybe don't need to be. I don't think you need to be worried about somebody stealing your idea. Or just wanting to buy it and send you packing. No, if you, because I tell you what, broadcasters, commissioners know that you, if you're the one who's found the story, you're very passionate. It's really in their best interest to keep you in the game. So they might say, hey, listen, and I know of a few examples of this happening with other filmmakers. It's like, listen, we're just going to partner you with somebody who's got some experience, who knows the ropes, who's been down this path before, because it's your first rodeo. And um, that's more the case than them saying, you know what, we just don't want to work with you. We'll buy from you. We'll see you later. Okay, so your second point where they said they're judging you as a character, if they don't like you as a character, they're probably not going to partner you up with somebody to be your mentor. They're probably going to find a polite way to say goodbye to you and, and good luck. However, if they like the story and they like you as a character, that's where they're going to go to the extra mile for you and help you out. I haven't had that happen personally, but I know numerous filmmakers who've had that happen before. And uh, so I think my advice to young filmmakers is, you know, just be fearless. Find great content. If you find a great story, there's a home. You'll find a home for it. Well said. I think that those are words to end this episode on because that is so insightful. I'm not sure that there's anything else that needs to be said. Thanks, Marvin. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.